Good morning uh, from Zion's Rest Primitive Baptist Church to those that are both here and those that may be listening uh, online or if not listening now, uh, maybe listening at some point in the future. Uh, I trust that your week has gone well. Uh, we know from uh, prayer requests that have been made here this morning that uh, there are a number of folks that are, that are suffering greatly this morning. And so uh, I will just uh, briefly mention the Elder Tim Cunningham's family uh, from Tennessee, and for those of you that may be out there that know uh, Brother Tim and his family, I just trust that you'll be in prayer for them this day. I hope you'll be in prayer for the services this morning, and that God would bless uh, you and me and uh, us together uh, as we worship Him, and uh, I trust that the things that are on my mind would be a blessing to you uh, as we go forward. If you bow with us, we'll go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we begin our preaching service this morning. Bow with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this another day. We thank you for blessing us, Lord, to uh, be here at, that, at this place together with one another. Lord, we pray for all those that may be listening uh, to this uh, broadcast this morning and those that may listen to it at some point in the future. Lord, we pray that above everything that your name might be glorified, uh, Lord, and that uh, those of us that are here might be strengthened by the things of thy word. Uh, Lord, that we, as we go forward each and every day, Lord, in uh, our daily lives, Lord, that we might be uh, mindful, Lord, that we represent you in this old world. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Keep us humble. Bless this day and this service to be to your glory, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, and amen. Uh, if the Lord would bless us this morning, and I'll go ahead and uh, mention what uh, the subject that I have that upon, upon my mind this morning uh, before we kind of diverge to some things that uh, that maybe have, sometimes I like to share with uh, the congregation and, and folks uh, some of the things that get on my mind, you know, and why I end up going to certain places. I, I hope it helps you and helps us as we as we worship together this morning, but uh, I would like to discuss the uh, the subject of discipleship. Uh, being uh, the Lord didn't just call us to be church members, uh, and He didn't just uh, call us from a death in sins to a life in Christ through the new birth uh, to be His sons and daughters here in this old world, uh, but He called us to be more than that. And so, uh, if that if the Lord will bless us this morning, that that will be my subject is. Uh, the subject of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ while we're living in this world. And so, uh, but, but to kind of go back through the process, I was thinking this week, and I know all of you, many of you have seen the news this week, uh, saw the death of the police officer up in uh, Minnesota uh, and the terrible things that happened there. And uh, as I was watching that and looking at that and looking at people's reaction to that, uh, around the around not only in that city but around the country, and I was thinking, you know, as as a pastor of a church, one of my concerns is this group of people right here. And so as I look at things, as people at people doing things, I, my thought turns to you and and how we think and and what we've what do we learn from God's word? And so uh, as I was looking at all that, I was thinking, well, one thing I know that. Uh, mistreatment of other people and the killing of people innocently uh, is wrong, no matter who does it. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's a police officer or who it might be, that's wrong. At the same time, I'm sitting there, sitting there thinking and saying, you know, as I look at something like this, uh, I don't want to paint all police officers with one police officer or two or three or whatever it might be. I don't want to label and become a person who stereotypes 
all police officers any more than you would stereotype all Alabamians or all uh, uh, Alabama fans or all Auburn fans. Or, you know, don't stereotype people into certain patterns or whether they're white or black or whatever it might be. Put, do away with all that. And where do we get that kind? How do you get to that kind of thinking? And what prevents you uh, as a member of the church and as a child of God, what prevents you from falling off into things where you do things that would be against God's word? And I, and I think it falls back to being a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ and what is and, and truly being one. If we if we think about things like that and just turn over uh, and think uh, just for a moment, just turn over to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. That wasn't really where I wanted to go to start, but I'll turn over there for just a moment to read this portion of scripture. Uh, he, and Jesus, in talking in the Sermon on the Mount, makes this comment, uh, and he says. Uh, talking about uh, if somebody uh, asks for a, you know a bread, do you give them a rock or do you give them a, a serpent if they ask to fish or so forth and so on. And he says, uh, if you ask a fish, will you, in verse 10, if you ask a fish, will you give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is heaven give good things to them that ask him? Verse 11, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. From this we get what is commonly called the golden rule. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, if, you would, if people would do that in today's society, uh, you would have somebody that, uh, that because they're angry, says, you know what, I think I'm angry, I'll beat my wife today. Or I think I'm angry, I'll beat my kids. Or maybe I'll just go out and burn up a store or, uh, or steal things because I'm angry and I'm justified in doing what I want to do because I'm angry. Well, that's totally against what God's Word teaches us. And as we think about, so how do, how do we learn to be disciples. And I frame that in the, in, the, in the current event of what we're talking about here today so that we can get this idea, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What do, and what does the word disciple mean? Uh, and so forth. And so let's turn over to the 28th chapter, 29th chapter, I guess it is, of the book of Matthew 20, uh, 28. I'm right, there's no 29. Uh, 28th chapter of the book of Matthew. And we'll find there that as Jesus had gone through the world three and a half years teaching his, teaching his followers, his disciples, those that would hear him, uh, and as he did uh, teaching, preaching, uh, healing, uh, living, a, living a life, a good example. Uh, and after he had been taken to the cross uh, and put to death, and after he was resurrected from the grave, he told his disciples, his apostles, to meet him in Galilee. Uh, and there he would uh, discuss and talk with them again after his resurrection. And it says in verse 16 of Matthew 11, it says, when, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So one of the very last things besides 
the, the portion of Scripture that we, we may be finding in the uh, book of Acts where Jesus is ascending back up on high and the angels uh, tell his apostles there that this one that you see going away in the clouds will return one day. This is one of those last messages that Jesus left to his disciples. And what he told them was this. He says, go, in, go, ye in, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That phrase, teach all nations, means make disciples. It means go and make disciples. Uh, teach all nations, making disciples. Well, then what does the word disciple mean? I was looking uh, uh, this morning at uh, one of those things, you know, after however many years of being a, a minister, uh, <coughs> I, I turned to a book that I have on word origins, and I was looking in there, and it did not have the word disciple, but it had the word discipline. Uh, and as I worked, looked at the word discipline, uh, I thought it was interesting. It said the word discipline, and, and I want to frame this for you this way this morning. The word discipline, think of, think of it like your occupation. People say uh, Sister Marsha's uh, discipline would be a teacher. Uh, uh, Brother Adam's discipline would be a nurse practitioner. Uh, that word discipline uh, uh, comes from a Latin word which means a learner. Uh, in other words, they were a learner of teaching or, or they were a learner of nurse practitioning. practitioning. Uh, uh, Sister Laura uh, was a learner of, a, of financial planning uh, and so forth. And so uh, people have learned and that is their discipline or what they do or what they work in. And from the word discipline, we get disciple. Uh, and a disciple is a learner, a student, a pupil, a follower of whatever they're, they're a disciple of. We are to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That means a learner, a student, a follower. Uh, and you can't, uh, to be a learner doesn't just mean uh, you get all this head knowledge and don't do anything with it, but it couples with the word learner and follower so that we learn, uh, not only are we to learn of him, uh, but we're to follow him. Uh, when Jesus was calling his disciples, uh, we could turn over to the uh, fourth chapter of the book of Luke, and we might turn over into the book of John as well, but if we turn over to the fifth chapter of the book of Luke, we'll find there uh, Jesus talking to uh, to those, it says, uh, uh, after he had, uh, and if you go and study the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, you'll find there that uh, Jesus had gone and returned uh, into Galilee after being tempted of Satan uh, 40 days, after his 40 days in the wilderness and being tempted of Satan, he returns back to his home of Nazareth, he goes into the, uh, goes into the uh, uh, to the synagogue on the uh, Sabbath day. They give him the scriptures. He opens it up to the book of Isaiah and reads there um, about, uh, about himself and tells them, today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Now, uh, then uh, after he finds, well, you know, they, they begin to persecute him and say, isn't this the son of Joseph, the carpenter, you know? And Jesus says, you know, a man's within, not without honor in his own country. In other words, people don't respect him because they've seen him grow up and that's that's the way it is a lot of times uh, people don't re really respect and honor those that they should because they've seen them they know uh that, you know in jesus's case i don't know why they couldn't honor him because it wasn't like he was some little mean little kid out running around uh, but he says you know they're not without respect they've seen, they know who my mother and father is they know my brothers and sisters and so the bible says he goes on into galilee to teach and it came to pass in verse chapter five uh, uh that is uh, as he was uh, the people were pressed upon him to 
hear the word of God. He stood by the lake Gennesaret, uh, which is the Sea of Galilee, another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into the ships, in which, uh, one of which was Simon's, and prayed him that he should thrust out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So Jesus is a teacher. Uh, he, uh, and those that were listening to him, uh, uh, many of them became his disciples or followers. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, uh, or Andrew, uh, they were also followers of John the Baptist. They were ba uh, disciples of John the Baptist at one point in time. Uh, but then uh, uh, John the Baptist was put into prison. Uh, Jesus comes along and begins to teach. Uh, and then they become followers or disciples of of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee, thrust out from the ship a little, oh, in, uh, in Peter's ship uh, from the shore a little ways. And uh, I can remember a few years ago, Darcy and I were over there in uh, Capernaum, uh, there on, on the Sea of Galilee. And you go out and you look at that Sea of Galilee. And at that time, it was, it was lower than it had been, I think, in a number of years. But the sea is down below where the seashore is. So you're standing on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, and the sea is off from that. So I can imagine Jesus stand, uh, out in that ship and the people up there on the banks looking down at him and listening to him talk and teach as he was there he entered into Simon's ship and when he had put to, and when he had left speaking he said unto Simon launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught in other words, uh, Simon, I uh, launch out here into the Sea of Galilee and let down your nets uh, and uh, you're going to catch a lot of fish. And Simon answered to him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word... I will let down the net. Uh, so, you know, we fished all night, uh, Master. We hadn't caught a thing. But you say it, we'll do it. You know, hey, that's a great attitude to have. Uh, uh, even, uh, even a lot of times when we don't understand what Jesus would call upon us to do. Uh, uh, but Jesus says to do it. And Peter says, you say to do it. We'll do it. Now, uh, the same thing that we find if we turn over to the second chapter of the book of John, and we find one of the very first miracles that Jesus performed there at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Uh, and Cana of Galilee is just a little community outside of Nazareth, uh, there where uh, Jesus grew up. And he performed the miracle of turning water into wine. And so he called for the call for the water uh, to be turned into wine after the wine had run out at the wedding uh, celebration. And uh, and his mother looked at those servants that were there serving at the wedding and says, whatsoever he saith to you, do it. Uh, well, that's a good place for us to start in being disciples of Jesus Christ is whatever he says, just do it. Uh, Peter says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I fished all night. I, I'm not sure I'm going to catch anything, but Lord, if you say let down the net, I'll do it. And when they had and when they, they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. I mean, the net was so full uh, of fish uh, that the net was about to break from all that they had. And they beckoned unto their partners, uh, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man. I'll tell you when you when you see the Lord as He truly is, uh, your response is probably going to be, 
Uh, much like Isaiah over in the book of Isaiah uh, when the Bible says in the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah that uh, he saw the Lord high and lifted up there that day and his train filled the temple and there were seraphims flying about singing holy, holy, holy uh, and uh, he said woe is unto me a man of unclean lips. Uh, Isaiah recognized as he was in the presence of God uh, that he was a sinner uh, a man of uncleanness. Peter uh, recognizes the same thing, uh, saying, depart from me, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Um, and he says, uh, for he was astonished, uh, and all that were with him at the draw of fishes which they had taken. You know, it'd be one thing if, if uh, you know, if if I if it was me. I'm kind of like a, uh, I, I probably haven't fished in 30, 40 years, you know. So if uh, if I went out and caught a great uh, draw of fishes, uh, I'd be like, well, hey, that's great. Uh, Peter was a professional fisherman. Peter knew how to fish. He knew where the fish were. I guarantee you, uh, much like uh, these people that go out in the Gulf of Mexico uh, down there, the, these people that lead the deep sea fishing expeditions, they know where to go to take their clients for the best chance of catching fish. Uh, and uh, so uh, Peter knew the Sea of Galilee. I'll, I'll put it like this. I, I, can't, I forget the length of the Sea of Galilee. I know it's about eight miles wide, maybe 15 to 20 miles long, something like that. So it's not that big uh, in a sense. Uh, uh, we'd look at it in America and say it's kind of a small lake. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, but uh, Peter knew probably every nook and cranny where the fish were, where he caught fish. Jesus says, Peter, launch out into the deep, let down your net for a great draught. And he says, well, okay, we fished all night long, but the Lord, you know, nevertheless, it's your command. And then finally, when he does it and he gets so many fish, not only can he not drag them in, but his partners, uh, John and James, fill their boat up with fish. And he says, Woo, this is somebody uh, uh, that knows something way beyond me, a professional fisherman. Uh, uh, and he tells me to let down my net. And suddenly uh, he says, uh, surely uh, this is a great man, uh, a man that's worthy. Um, uh, depart from me. And, uh, and as he said that, he says he was astonished for all that were with him at the draw of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. <clears throat> well, here's a guy who says on one hand, let down your net and you're going to catch a great draught of fish. And now he says, after this and from now on, you're going to catch men, Peter. And, and no doubt Peter's kind of wondering this. And when he had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. What does it mean to be a disciple? Peter, Peter left everything he had. This man was a fisherman. That's how he made his living. That's how he supported his family. That's what he did. Now this man comes along and says, you know what? Come and follow me. Come and take up your cross and follow me. We turn over to the book of Mar uh, uh, Matthew again and we find uh, uh, repeatedly. Uh, in the, if we turn over to the 16th chapter, I think it is, of the book of Matthew, we find there uh, where the apostles are talking to, uh, uh, to Jesus. And Jesus uh, is, is asked them the question. Uh, uh, they're standing uh, in, uh, in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is on the upper end of Israel uh, where one of the sources for the Jordan River flows out of the side of a mountain there. And it's a beautiful site, but it's also a 
place where uh, in ancient times idol worship took place. And there's all kinds of temples that were built there in times past to the god Pan uh, and so forth. Uh, and so here in this place uh, where idol worship had taken place, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do men say that I am? And well, some say they are Jonas, and others say one of the uh, Jeremiah's or one of the prophets. Uh, and he says, but whom do ye say that I am? Uh, and Simon Peter looked at him and answered and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, and Jesus looks at him and says, uh, blessed art thou, verse 17 of Matthew 16, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, uh, if, you, if you've come to see that Jesus Christ uh, is your Savior, uh, that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm telling you, you ought to thank God in heaven, God the Father, uh, uh, because He's revealed this unto you. Uh, and He says, uh, And I, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock uh, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give thee the keys to the kingdom, uh, and so forth. Uh, in verse 24 then it says, Then said Jesus, Jesus unto his disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'll tell you, uh, repeatedly through it, Jesus called his disciples. And one of the ways he called his disciples, uh, uh, Andrew. Uh, and Andrew went to Nathan uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, and uh, Simon and James and John, he would call out to them, come and follow me. You know, if we think about coming and following Him, and what does, what does this mean for us today? Uh, take up your cross and follow Him. It means not just to uh, come to church on Sunday. It means to dedicate your life to being a learner, a follower, a student, a pupil, a student of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just mean coming here. On, so when you come here on a Sunday morning or when you listen to this sermon online, don't just sit here and say, well, that's great, that's good. Learn it. Take it in. Uh, Sister Marsha could have gone to school for four years at Alabama and learned all about teaching. But you know what? If she never, if she never entered the classroom to teach others, she was just a well-learned person, but not a teacher because she hadn't taught anybody anything. And I'll tell you, we can be well-learned students of Jesus Christ, but if we don't go out and share that with other people and tell them what he's done for us, and you don't have to be some brilliant theologian to share with people what Jesus Christ has done for you, how he's changed your life. Has he changed your life? If he's changed your life, what has he done for you? How can you share that with others? Well, let's turn over to the book of John for just a minute, and let's look at what I think is one of the best examples that we find in scripture. Uh, let's turn over to the fourth chapter of the book of John and I'll give you a, a, some summary of those things that are there. But Jesus had been teaching, uh, uh, you know the third chapter of the book of John, you know about John 3.16, how he had, been, uh, he had been teaching one of the masters uh, of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of the lawyers there, one of those uh, Nicodemus who came to him by night and so forth. And, and, when, uh, and when the time had come uh, for Jesus to depart from this place in John chapter 4 it says when therefore the Lord uh, talking chapter 4 verse 1 of the book of John says well the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John though Jesus himself baptized not 
but his disciples. It says uh, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. So he had been into the regions of Judea. Uh, now he's departing again unto Galilee. Uh, and it says that he must needs go through Samaria. Well, uh, I've heard various things said about this over the years. and Kind of like, uh, like that portion of scripture uh, where we were using there a minute ago as part of our text verse there in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, go and teach all nations. In other words, go and make disciples. Uh, I've heard people say uh, uh, things like, well, that was give, just give a charge given to the apostles. Uh, well, right after that, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, that's the only place in the scriptures uh, where you're going to find that we're to baptize in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Ghost. And we do that today, right? Uh, so I'm assuming that uh, since that's all the same sentence, that we're to go forth and make disciples too and go forth and teach all nations too. And not only doing that, baptizing in the name. Uh, well, here in this, uh, here in this uh, fourth chapter of the book of John, uh, he says uh, uh, that he must needs go through Samaria. Well, uh, I've heard people try to twist and turn that. If you look at the map, to get from Judea to Galilee, probably the straightest way to go was through Samaria. Uh, so he needed to go through Samaria, but I think he did have an appointment there uh, uh, that he was looking to make uh, and so as he uh, it says that as he was going through uh, Samaria uh, he got to a, a city which is called near to a city coming to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph and now Jacob's well was there and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour which is the noon hour uh, and there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water and Jesus saith unto her give me to drink and you know the story of the woman at the well uh, Jesus uh, uh, took uh, water from her uh, and Jesus then began to tell her all about herself uh, uh, and, uh, and she was marveled first of all that Jesus as a Jew would be talking to a Samaritan woman. Uh, uh, the Samaritans were looked on, uh, although they were distantly related to the Jews, kind of looked on as being uh, uh, kind of outcast uh, and and the uh, and like the Gentiles in a sense, they were looked down upon. Uh, you don't have to go far in society today. Maybe there are people today that look down on certain people and when other people talk to them, they're amazed uh, uh, that you would actually talk to them. Uh, uh, but Jesus talked to this Samaritan woman uh, and began Began to tell her, and, she, and the woman in verse 15 says, The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I. And, and she said, Well, let me back up because she had given him water, and he, and he told her, said, If you had asked of me, I would have given you water and you would never thirst again. And it would be a fountain of water springing up into you unto eternal life. And she says, Lord, give me this water. Well, I'm telling you, this water that was under consideration is none other than the Spirit of God inside of us that springs up a well within us and gives us a life and nourishment in a way that nothing else can. Uh, and, and she says, uh, the woman saith unto him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she's confused. She's thinking, oh, he's going to give me a drink of water so that I don't ever have to come back to this well and draw water again. No, he was talking about something that you can carry with you beyond a, well, a natural well of water. And Jesus said, and the woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water. And Jesus said to her, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and says, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, 
thou hast said what thou hast well said I have no husband for thou hast had five husbands and him whom thou now hast is not thy husband in that thou saidest truly in other words you don't have a husband you're living with a guy that's not your husband you've already had five husbands and the guy and and suddenly this in verse 19 the woman saith unto him sir i perceive that thou art a prophet uh, yeah, right. He just told her everything about her life, uh, and suddenly she recognizes there's something special about this guy. She and and so forth. Uh, and uh, and as, as she goes on with this conversation, uh, Jesus looks at her and says. Uh, Verse 23, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him, whether they're Jews or Gentiles or Samaritans or black, white, uh, uh, Russian, Chinese. He seeks people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, verse 24, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the woman saying to Him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I that speak to thee am he. Now, a lot of people will say uh, that Jesus never said, told anybody he was the Christ. He told this woman he was the Christ. And there's other occasions where he told other people uh, uh, that he was the Christ. Uh, but upon this came his disciples uh, and marveled that he was talking with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? And I want you to get this picture. I was looking at this last night. And I thought, you know, suddenly his disciples come up. Jesus is talking to a strange woman at the well, and no man said, what seekest thou? <clears throat> Nobody said, hey, Jesus, why are you talking to this woman at the well, and what is it you're asking her, and what is it? Nobody said that. The woman then left the water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that I ever did, is not this the Christ? I'm telling you uh, today. You know what? The, you know what her message was. Her message wasn't, uh, let me tell you how to be saved. Her message wasn't, uh, uh, let me tell you about prayer. Let me tell you about uh, uh, the doctrines of justification or sanctification. Uh, her message was, Jesus, there's a man that told me everything about me. Isn't this the Christ? Has there ever been anyone that spoke to you the word of God and suddenly you felt like your life had been peeled back? And that suddenly there was someone that knew all about you. He knows every sin you've ever, ever made, every uh, uh, ill word you've ever said, every evil thought you've ever had. There's one that knows that. And yet uh, somehow you know he loves you because uh, he's shown compassion and care to you. Jesus showed compassion and care to a woman that had lived a rough life. And yet he looked at her and told her, I can give you something that nobody else can give you. I can give you a peace of mind, a comfort. And, and go tell your husband. You know, I don't think it's just a coincidence. He told her, go get your husband. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And then he was able to reveal to her that he knew about her sin and about her multiple husbands and about the man she was living with at the time that wasn't her husband. And she was able to go and tell the city, I met a man that knows all about me. Surely this was the Christ. That was her message. 
That was her simple message. Uh, she, and then cried, they went out to hear him, and they became convinced. The Bible says, as you read on through this, uh, uh, they became convinced. Uh, and many of the Samaritans, verse 39 of that city, believed on him for the saying of the woman which he testified, and he told me all that I ever did. And when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Long time, right? He stayed there with them for two days, and many more believed because of his own words. Many believed because of the word of the woman. Others went out and heard him and believed because of what he said. I'll tell you, uh, that's how we carry the message of Jesus Christ. People are all concerned. I don't know what to say to people. I'm going to tell you, sometimes all you need to say to people is, my life has been totally changed. By following after Jesus Christ. Well, what do you mean it's been totally changed, Brother Charles? Well, I saw somebody get killed on TV the other day. and You know what? I just sat down and began to pray about the situation. I began to think about, you know what? I shouldn't do unto others the way they would do unto me. I, I, I should do unto others as God would have me do unto them. And so that's how I ought to respond and react. Be angry and sin not. That is, that's how we become followers of Jesus Christ, uh, by taking his word and using it in our lives. Let's turn over. Uh, Jesus taught this over and over again in his ministry. And there's other places, uh, uh, you know, that we could turn to maybe this morning. Uh, but let's turn over uh, because this message carries on in the Apostle Paul's teachings and in Peter's teachings. And so let's turn over to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans uh, real quickly. And, and let's begin to, to just look at this about being disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple, a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ? And does it just mean I go to church on Sunday? And I'm going to tell you the answer is no. That's not just what it means. It means taking it into your being and putting it into practice in how you live, how you act, and what you do. And it's from whether you're, whether you're as young as the youngest one here or whether you're as old as the oldest one here. Uh, it's, it's about taking up the Word of God and putting it to practice in your life. So in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been writing to the Roman church, and he's been writing to them about how they're, how they're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and how they're justified by their faith and how God has a people both among the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and while the Jews were blessed because they had always had the oracles of God, the Gentiles had been blessed because they did uh, from their heart what God had worked into their heart. And then he goes on and teaches them about uh, uh, that God is not going to, uh, uh, if we looked at Romans chapter 8 uh, and, and looked at some of the great uh, uh, scriptures that are written there, uh, that God did, did know and predestinate and, and call a people uh, uh, and so forth. And then he goes on and tells us in 9, 10 and 11 about how God had chosen a people in Christ Jesus. And in verse in chapter 12, he says, after he's come to all of this great theological teaching that he's done from, from the beginning of chapter 1 through chapter 11 and told them that uh, uh, about these things, he looks at them then in chapter 12 and says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg of you, I beg of you, children of God, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
That word holy means uh, without sin. I mean, let's just, that's what it means. That's the reason the, the seraphims, as they're flying through uh, the heaven's fair world today, uh, they're, they're calling out holy, 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 uh, uh, thrice holy uh, uh, God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, uh, without sin. They, their constant cry is holy, holy, holy. Uh, and here he tells us that uh, I'm begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's not saying that we need to go out and, and put ourselves, uh, crucify ourselves. He said, as you live, sacrifice. Make your, make your life a sacrifice to God. You don't have to go put yourself to death. Make your living a, a, a service to God. Uh, the, the Bible tells us in one of those, those places that I was looking at earlier, uh, uh, he tells us uh, to deny ourselves, take up your, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. What does it mean to deny yourself? The, the desires of your flesh, deny the flesh its desires, take up your cross follow after the teachings of Jesus Christ. So he tells us here, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, without sin. I know I know we're going to sin. I know our thoughts are going to be sinful. But present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, Paul says it's reasonable for us to present our bodies, uh, deny ourselves, serve God here in this life. And then he says this, and be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is it you're changed? Don't be, he says, don't be conformed to the world. I, I wish I could tell you uh, how many times when my children were growing up, and maybe some of you uh, did the same thing, uh, how many times you said, don't run with the crowd. Don't do all the things all the other kids are doing. Uh, don't act like them. Uh, uh, don't go where they go. Don't do what they do. Uh, what you were trying to tell them is don't be conformed to this world and worldly thinking. Paul says it this way. Parents a lot of times say it another way. Uh, but they're trying to get the same message across. And the same message Paul was trying to present to the church at Rome. The church at Rome, he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't act like the world. Don't do like the world. Uh, you see people out rioting, looting, burning, shooting, doing. He says, don't be conformed to that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind <clears throat> that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, unto me, say, say through the grace given to me to every man that's among you, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know what? You know what? Thinking. You know how people think today uh, in the, this postmodern. You know, I use terms like this because I read stuff like this every. But you know, in this postmodern Christian whatever world, you know, that people think, well, my opinion is just as good as your opinion. So what I do, you know, so what I do is okay uh, because what I think I should do is just as good as what you think you should do. Uh, but there's one problem with that kind of thinking. None of our thinking is better than the thinking of Jesus Christ. Nothing is better. Uh, and people that think that way sometimes don't believe that there's a God that rules over us uh, and that there's a God whose thinking is higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our ways, uh, who's doing are higher than our ways and so they don't have a standard that they go by and say that's what we need to do 
That's how we need to act uh, uh, and so forth. So he says, uh, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Boy, be, just be honest. <laughs> Think soberly uh, uh, here, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Has God given to you uh, faith that you believe in Him? Then think of yourself honestly. That's, I think that's part of what that word soberly is trying to say. Just be honest with yourselves about who you are, what you are, and what you do. And he says, don't get to, too lifted up in your pride. Get to thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And then he goes on and talks about the gifts that we have through Christ Jesus. So Paul here tells us at the end of all of this theological teaching in chapters 1 through 11, he comes to them and begs them by the mercies of God that they don't be conformed to this world, that they present their bodies as a living sacrifice before God. That's, that's, I'm talking about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It means not being conformed to this world, but being conformed to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the way you do that is by renewing your mind. Uh, you know, if you're, not on a daily, if you're not on a daily Bible reading program, some of, some of us, some of you, need to be daily reading Psalms and Proverbs. You probably need to be reading it every day. You don't, you know, maybe you just read a chapter every day. And, and, and you read it one day and you say, I'm not sure what I get out of this. Read it, read it again the next day. Read through. Come back and read again. Read again. There's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs. There's a lot of things that we need to learn in Psalms. And so read that. Then after you've maybe gotten that down a little bit, go and begin a reading program. Start. To, uh, sometimes people don't want to dive off into Genesis or, or dive into Isaiah and Jeremiah. Read the New Testament scriptures. Read the Gospels. Read those things. Renew your mind and your way of thinking and focus on what did Jesus Christ teach us so that we can be disciples of his teaching. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians if we can. Uh, and again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth, uh, uh, in, in, the, in his first letter to the, uh, uh, to the Corinthian people, the, the Apostle Paul had had to condemn them for sin and so forth, things that they were doing as a church. He writes back in the second book and tells them not to be overly long in their discipline of their church, uh, fellow church member, uh, but he, seeing he's repented, forgiven, him, call him back into the fellowship of the body. Here in the fifth chapter of this second Corinthian letter, uh, he begins to tell them, uh, uh, and I'll read starting with verse 17 of the uh, uh, fifth chapter of second Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He's talking about the new birth. A person that's been born again has been changed. They've got a new, a new mind, a new spirit, a, a new way of looking at things. He says, Behold, all things have become new. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, in other words, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, he's, there's a lot of preaching in all of this that I'm not going to go into this morning. We'll do that maybe some other time. Uh, but it says God was in Christ, 
And when God was in Christ, uh, uh, he reconciled the world uh, uh, that he gave to Christ uh, uh, to himself. In other words, he, he canceled out their sins. And now he's given to us the message of reconciliation, preaching what God has done, not imputing the trespasses to them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I've preached this in times gone by, probably many times, but you know, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is the representative of one country and a foreign country. Uh, we are in a foreign country. We may not like to, we may not like, we may think this world is our home, but this is your, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of the king, your, your home is yet to come. We're strangers and pilgrims here in this old world. Peter tells us that in the book of uh, First or Second Peter, uh, he tells us we're strangers and pilgrims in this old world. So we're we're just ambassadors here. Uh, we're ambassadors, and what, so what's an ambassador supposed to? He's supposed to represent his home country. We're supposed to represent God in this foreign land that we're living in. And so he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray ye in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. God has reconciled you to himself. Now you be reconciled to the work that God has done in your life. Many times people beat themselves up for years and years and years saying, I'm a sinner. I have this problem. I do this. Oh my goodness, I keep having this sin problem. I keep doing this. Certainly, uh, surely I, I'm not a child of God because I have this sin problem. Be reconciled to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Be reconciled that in your mind. And he says, be ye reconciled as an ambassador of Christ beseech you by us that we pray in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God for he hath made him to be sin. Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's not because of your works. It's not because of what, how good you are. It's because of how good Jesus Christ was. That's the reason you've been reconciled to God. Now then, so this is where I wanted to get to, 6th chapter, 6th chapter of 2 Corinthians. We then as workers together with him beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. You're saved by his grace. Don't receive God's grace in vain. I think about something Brother Adam's been preaching out of the book of Galatians uh, here over the last number of weeks, teaching and preaching and, and walking us through the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, and I think I've got the right chapter, over in about the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, the apostle uh, Paul writing to the church at Galatia says this, <clears throat> for, for bre verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. He's, he's comparing... God's children to the children of Israel who were taken out of, uh, uh, taken out of Egypt's land by the power of God from the mighty king brought through the Red Sea. And he says, Ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Paul says, don't use the, the fact that you've been saved by his grace as an excuse for going out and acting any way you want to act. But rather, serve but by love, serve one another. You know, and I, I'll make this comment. I want to make this comment as I was thinking about this uh, uh, before today. I was meditating and thinking about it, and this scripture came to my mind, and I thought, you know, 
Paul would not have warned the church at Galatia to not use the liberty of the grace of God and the salvation that they have through grace as a cloak. And if you don't know what a cloak is, I'll, I'll, a cloak is like a coat or covering. He says, don't use the liberty of God as a cloak for maliciousness. Now, if it wasn't possible for the people at Galatia, the children of God at the church at Galatia, to act in ways that they shouldn't have acted, Paul wouldn't have told them that. So sometimes people get this idea, well, once you're a child of God and you've been saved, why suddenly you'll live in such a way that you'll never have any more problems and worries and troubles and you'll not commit any sins. I'm telling you, it's a lie. <laughs> people that are out there teaching that kind of stuff are lying to God's children. Paul would not have warned the church at Galatia to not use the liberty of God as a cloak for maliciousness if it wasn't possible for them to do that. So don't, don't use the liberty of God as a cloak. He's saying the same thing he tells us. Now let's turn back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then as workers together with him beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Don't waste what God has given you. He's given you a great gift. Now then use it wisely. You know, uh, I, I think about a gift. Maybe my mind turns to something like this. But I want to use examples that people maybe can, can, can latch a hold of. You know, uh, I, I've known of people that got scholarships to go to college. You say, wow, a scholarship. What a gift. What a blessing. And people say, man, I don't want to go to college. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to use that scholarship. Well, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't waste what God has given you. And he says, for he, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the, day, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Give no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. I th I thought about this. How many times, you know, and I preached on this back several weeks ago about uh, from the book of Hebrews. Read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews and the, ten, the end of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews and the 11th chapter. And you think about all those great people of faith. Abraham was considered a great man of faith. But Abraham had to wait 25 years to receive the promise of God that he would have a child. He had to have patience. <laughs> Sometimes we have to patiently wait for what God is working in our life. And, and it's, not, you know, it's not our nature a lot of times. We don't want to be patient. We want to, well, I want it now. Hurry up. You know, we, too many, too many drive-through windows, you know, where you get the food right now. I tell you what, this virus will teach you a little bit of patience because the lines are longer and you might as well get ready for it. But anyway, another subject uh, for this. But he says, uh, but in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. What, is a, what does a minister of, God, of the gospel have to do? The minister of God can get, uh, you know, sometimes we can get haughty too. And we, and we preach the message and we say, how come they're not responding to what I'm preaching? You know what? You need to preach it again. You need to preach it again. I thought about, you think about patience. Jesus called Simon Peter to come and be an apostle and a, a disciple and a follower of his. And what did he say? He said, Simon, let your boat out here in the deep and let down your net for a great draw to fish. Uh, 
So three and a half, fast forward three and a half years later, three and a half years later, uh, Jesus has been, uh, been uh, crucified. He's been resurrected. He meets his disciples in Galilee, tells them to go and make, uh, uh, teach all nations. Uh, and Peter decides at some point in all of this, uh, he's just going to go back to fishing. Jesus shows up. <laughs> Peter's out in the boat. Jesus is on the shore. Uh, Jesus, miraculously, uh, as, uh, as Savior and uh, Creator of all things, He's there on the shore uh, with a fire uh, and fish grilling on the fire. Peter's out in the boat, fishing all night long. <clears throat> Sir, do you, did you catch any fish? They didn't know who He was, by the way, when, he, when they first began to approach Him on the shore. said, have you caught anything? Said, no, we fished all night and didn't catch a thing. He says, let your net down on the right side of the ship. And he says, uh, and you'll catch a great... Get, uh, the, why, you say, Brother Charles, and he did. And the Bible records that they caught a great net full of fishes again. Three and a half years later, Jesus is having to teach Peter the same lesson. He has all power in heaven and in earth. Uh, he has all power over all things. Uh, uh, my friends, Jesus, Simon Peter, the apostle, had to be taught again. Jesus has all power. So shouldn't I, as a minister of God, be a little more patient? And say, so, you know what? I just keep preaching and teaching, begging God's children, Take up your cross, follow him, become disciples. He says, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and affliction, in necessities, in distresses. This is Paul talking about himself. In stripes and imprisonments and tumults, in labors and watchings and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Love unfeigned, not false love, but true love. In other words, my love for and preaching to you as God's people and preaching to those that might be listening, my love for you's got to be a true love. It can't be a put on fake show, uh, getting up here. I got to really say I love you and I care about you and I'm preaching and teaching these things in a true way. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, Paul says, I've been called a deceiver yet true. As unknown yet well known, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor and yet making many rich. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye have not straightened, uh, ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own, your conflict, your, 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 narrow, your narrow band. It's not in me, it's in yourself. Your problem is in you. Uh, and he says, uh, now for, for a recompense in the same, I speak unto my children, be ye enlarged. Don't be straightened. Don't be narrowed down. Be enlarged. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Yeah. I've heard Brother Adam say this, no telling how many times. That's not talking about getting married, okay? He's talking to the church at Corinth and saying, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? This is a discipleship lesson, <laughs> What are children of God to do? They're, they're not to be unequally yoked together with them. Un... Don't hang around with a crowd you shouldn't be hanging around with. 
Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? If you're, if you're a child of light, if you're a child of the King, if God has made you righteous by His shed blood and by His grace, what are you doing hanging around the unrighteous crowd? Oh, well, I'm trying to convert them. Well, be careful uh, in your doing that that you don't also fall into the same measure of sin. There, there's great caution in God's Word always about those types of things. Uh, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? And other, the Lord of the flat, what, what concord, what binds Christ to be uh, with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? <clears throat> uh, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God, hath said, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's a discipleship lesson. Come out from among the unclean. Come out from among the idol worshipers. Come out from among the unbelievers. Come out from all of that. Get away from all of that. And ye will be a father, and I will be, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Be a disciple. Make your discipline being a child of God, a servant of the king. That word discipline, again, means your vocation, what you do, what, how you make a living. Be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ in doing these things. I, there's more. The, this subject is not even, uh, you know, I've just kind of gotten into it a little bit here this morning. Uh, but I wanted to show you that Jesus Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. Not only just follow me and want, don't be like don't be like that running crowd that was behind Forrest Gump. They were following him. They didn't know where they were going or what they were doing. Uh, follow Jesus Christ because you know where he's going, what he's doing, what he's teaching. Be a learner and a student of his. The lesson is carried out by Paul in, in Romans. It's carried out by Paul in 2 Corinthians. If I had time, it would be I could show you it's carried out by Peter in the second chapter of 1 Peter. He, again, he's telling us, Take up your cross and follow him. Become a student and a follower of him. And don't be conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and the way you think. Uh, because when we learn to think the way Jesus thinks, we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're going to love our enemies. Uh, we're going to be careful who we're hanging around with. And we're going to make sure that we're learning more about him every day so that we can be better servants. The servant, the Bible tells us, is not better than the master. So we need to be servants of the master and follow after him. May God bless you in this coming week. Learn more about being a, a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ as we serve him in this old world. May God bless you until we meet again. Bow with us. We'll dismiss with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for blessing us to be here. Ask, Lord, that you'd bless all those that might be uh, in our presence as well as those that might be listening. Lord, we pray that you will help us all to be better disciples and followers of you, Lord, each day taking up our cross and following you in the way that we should live, act, and do here in this old world. Lord, we pray that you'll bless us, bless this church, help us to serve you and be a light in this community. And, Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. And amen.